Welcome to Season 3 of the Fall Guys Podcast, where we continue to document the stories of those who have made Wisconsin football what it is. My name is Tom Yashinsky of Onalaska High School, and my co-host is Matt Kimmis from DeForest. Thank you for joining us. If you want to be more efficient at your practice, get more reps, and practice at a faster pace, talk to me about GoRoute. GoRoutes are devices worn on a belt during practice that allows a coach on a phone to send the play to the scout team instantaneously, allowing them to run many more plays at a higher tempo without ever having to go back to a huddle. If you want to get more of your practice, talk to me about GoRoute, an official sponsor of the Fall Guys podcast. Welcome on this week's episode of the WFCA Fall Guys podcast. We talked to West Appear head coach Chris Grison. Coach Grison and the Phantoms were runners-up this year at Division II Estate. Coach, tell us about your football journey. How'd you find yourself at West Appear? Well, it, it, it was, uh, it's been a long journey. Um, I'll start back in my playing days. Uh, so I graduated from Sturgeon Bay High School, went down to Northwest Missouri State, I uh, was blessed to be around some great coaches there, head football coach, offense coordinator, learned a ton. Uh, we won a national championship down there, and then that um, I was blessed to be able to be drafted in the NFL uh, and played there for uh, three years, got cut. Then I made my way through NFL Europe um, and then arena football leagues and then eventually back into the NFL uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. And so I finished off my career playing in the United Football League, uh, which is kind of like the XFL, USFL, what they're doing right now. Um, and so I finished my career, and then I always wanted to get into coaching. And I had, actually, in 2003, I started coaching at Notre Dame Academy while I was still playing arena football. And it was it was great uh, at that time, um, cause I got to play football. I got to coach football and I actually did a radio show. Uh, so I got to, uh, talk about football and all get paid for it. So, um, so I started my high school coaching career in 03 coached at Notre Dame for three years and then went over to green Bay Southwest, uh, for, uh, three years. And that's where I, I got to, for two years, I worked with Bryce pop, um, very successful coach in his day. Um, at Southwest, turning around that program. And that was my first opportunity to really call plays and coordinate uh, an offense, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. But then I got back into playing in the fall leagues, um, so I couldn't coach anymore. And then when I finished up playing in 2012, I uh, took a teaching job at Notre Dame Academy, coached for two years there, um, and then took a year off and then started back up at Freedom high school under uh clint Krewalt. and uh clint was there for one year and then i was under uh frank matea for the next three and then the um west appear job opened up and i just threw my hat in there um i always knew i wanted to be a head coach kind of run the program the way i wanted to nothing that nothing against the other guys but just kind of want to put my own stamp on it and um had some great interviews and um, really fell in love with the opportunity or the you know possibility of coaching there. And then I got the call to be the head coach. And unfortunately, the first year was COVID. Uh, we had a really talented class, uh, but you know I had to uh, kind of cut my teeth uh, in that COVID year, which taught me uh, quite a bit about being flexible. Throughout your journey, coach, who are the mentors that? that, you know, kind of helped you along the way or gave you that break? You know, you talked about 
uh, it, maybe it was somebody in the NFL, maybe it was somebody in the coaching ranks, but or maybe it was somebody at college. But who are those people that really mentored you? Boy, that's a good question. I had so many um, through the years. I'll be honest, I, I I learned a lot of what to do from coaches, but then I, I learned a lot of what not to do from coaches uh, through my journey, and that's at all different levels, including the NFL. Um, probably the. T- two guys that really mentored me the most and, and, you know, really put a stamp on me of what a coach is and, and what it, which, how you can affect kids. Well, I would have to say my two college coaches. Uh, and I say two, because our head coach, his name is Mel Churchma. He's in the division two college hall of fame. He's all time winningest coach. And he was actually a guy when I first went there, I was part of his first recruiting class and, we were 0 11 our first year, and um, he totally cleaned house. He cut all the bad apples. He knew he had to change the culture, change the program around. So he got rid of all those guys, including the ones that, uh, yeah, he cut their scholarship, but they even wanted to come back and be walk-ons. And he said no. Um, he understood you got to get you know cut get rid of all those bad apples. Um, so he did, and then we turned it around, and four years later, what 15 and 0. Um, so he was such a great mentor to me and still is. I still talk to him quite a bit. Um, and this is, you know, 20 years later. Uh, and then I would say our offensive coordinator, uh, Jim Sabota, he, he's the guy that I really learned X's and O's from, you know, how to manipulate defenses with, you know, tempo and, and shifts and motions and personnel groups and all those different things. Um, and And he made it, seemed very complicated to the defense, but it was quite simple for us. And so um, I, I learned a ton from him and just how to teach things. So it's not as complicated for kids and for players. So I, I, I took a lot from both of those guys. I think what you said there about learning what to do and learning what not to do is a big part of, of growing as an assistant, because I think, Sometimes we, we jump on staff and, and you have to do whatever the head guy's doing um, because he's the one that gave you the job. But that doesn't mean you can't learn along the way. And sometimes you're, you're just absorbing and saying, all right, when I get my opportunity, I'm going to do it different than that. Not that it was wrong, um, but it maybe just wasn't the same way you thought it should go. And, and sometimes you have to bite your tongue. And there's times where you can make a suggestion, but if that that's the way they do it, that's the way they do it. Uh, but like you said, it's sometimes you want your own opportunity to run a program and and when you get it then you you know that those types of things are the things you change and you make sure you don't repeat absolutely yeah i mean you 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 mentioned you make that mental note or actually write it down uh somewhere you know if uh, you have a book your own uh, i i learned so much of what not to do over my career just how coaches treated players or you know you know were hypocrites and in, in what they said or whatever like you know, just the really the do not do this. And, um, you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I was able to see that and digest it and make sure that it never happens uh, in, in my program. Speaking of, of learning and, and some of that experience that you did have as someone who played in the NFL, how did that experience, how did that make you a better coach? But also, what did you have to do to alter or to alter, you know, how you prepared kids to make sure that you weren't putting too much on them. Because as an NFL guy, you guys had all the time in the world to put a game plan in, practice, whatnot. High school kids, it's a little bit different. 
but sometimes maybe our minds don't always work that same way where we try to dumb it down. What did you do? Uh, what did you learn that made you a better coach? And what did you do to make sure you weren't putting too much on them? Yeah, I, I learned that one thing I learned from like my offense coordinator in college was you really need to use word associations. Um, and, and you teach the kids. It's, it's all, you know, we're as coaches, we're teachers. And I think so many coaches out there, um, you know, they, they try to run a pro style offense or, you know, they try to get fancy, you know, with things and they just come up with right, just words out of thin air. And they say, Hey, we're going to call this play this. And to me, that that doesn't really make sense. I'm going to try to make a word association and then teach the kids. You know, I teach math now at West Pier, and that I'm always trying to find different devices or different ways for the kids to learn a certain, you know, aspect of math. Well, it's the same thing with football. I'm going to call something, something so that they can make a word association, um, whether it's a, a code word or whatever it is. Now they can say, Oh yeah, I know what that means because it starts with this letter or, Oh yeah, it kind of sounds like this word, you know, whatever. So I, I, that was one of the biggest things that I learned as far as, you know, really teaching, you know, I don't want to say dummy down, but to, so that kids could understand, you know, cause yeah, you know, I've been doing my quarterback Academy well since 2003. So over 20 years now, um, that I started this quarterback Academy. And, and one example is how to teach quarterbacks, how to read defenses. You know, I can't, I'm not going to expect my quarterback at West appear to read defenses. Like I had to in the NFL, you know, where I'm reading two high safeties. And if he rolls, I'm going this way. If he rolls, you know, back week, I'm going to, you know, do this drop and read high, low and just all that stuff. There's no way he would be able to process that. So we, we have certain plays, certain reads, but, you know, I, what I've come up with, you know, and, and pe- coaches can certainly use this in a general way, in a very simple way. I just have my quarterbacks always in their minds, ask themselves the question, who can take the route away? So if the quarterback's going out and he's just throwing a hitch route, well, you have to ask who can take the route away. Is it the outside linebacker or is it the corner? If he can take it away, well, don't throw it. If you have a hitch on the other side and the defender isn't taking it away, well, then throw it. And you just kind of, you know, try to simplify it as as binary as that is pretty much. Now, obviously, as they get more comfortable with it, then you can move on to high-low reads and, you know, three receivers over there. And if they play this, you know, that kind of stuff. But you know, as far as simplifying it, I, I think that's probably one of my examples of trying to make sure that these kids can read these things. And then once they get accustomed to the um, to the routes, then I found that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a middle school kid or a kid that I've coached and uh, trained in college. Um, they, they use that same phrase in their mind and it works every time. I've also found that I always ask myself who needs to know, you know, like if we're doing something different uh, in, in the run game, but the line can block it the exact same way as, as one of the plays we already run, then they don't need to know that it's a different play. 
You know, they can, <laughs> we just tell them that it's inside zone, just tell them that it's power, whatever it might be. And let, let the rest of the guys. And I always, you know, our skill guys, our skill guys have to be pretty smart. And, and a lot of times your skill guys, you, you know, one guy, two guys need to know exactly what they're doing. The other guys sometimes just got to stay out of the way. Your offensive line, though, all five of those guys got to be doing the right thing, or you're going to have a bust in protection, and it's not going to look very good. Um, yeah. So you can, I, I feel like you can do a lot more with the guys outside, especially when you have a smart quarterback. That's the key. Um, you can do a lot more with the guys outside uh, if you keep it simple for the offensive line, and you can get really creative when everybody else just has to know their role. And the offensive line can do the same thing they've been doing, you know, a hundred times over again. Yeah, what well, you're exactly right. I mean, and and that's what I learned from my college coach. I mean, we, he, I, you know, our offensive coordinator. I was talking to him actually just last week, and we we're reminiscing. And we played um, for our national championship game, and we had uh, it was four rounds back then, and so the three games prior to that the defense coordinator for the team that we were playing against uh, later on after we had won came up to our offense coordinator and said, Hey, I got, I had you guys down for 56 different formations in three games. He's like, you got to tell me how that's possible. Now the thing is, is we're running the same plays, <laughs> you know, like, but like you said, we we're just dressing it up with a shift or a motion or whatever. And, you know, for defense guys, that man, these are all these different plays but in reality, it, they were the same place. You know, we actually this past year we did a uh, a recap and we were looking at our 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 film and breakdowns and we had one run concept that we had thirty we ran it thirty different ways this past year at West Superior. So um, yeah, it was it's just it's awesome to be able to do that and and manipulate things and the kids can get it they understand it they love it and uh, I found that when you teach kids a certain way and teach them how to do football, man, they just eat it up because then they see it on Saturday and Sundays and they're like, Hey coach, I saw this on, and it's so cool, you know, cause then you can talk ball and it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's I, I'm a big fan on offensive use as many formations as you can, but, but just keep it is, you know, same point. Just like you said, like, Make them drop one more scout card. I, I always say we're gonna do <laughs> we're we're gonna do something that they have not seen yet on film, formation wise, motion wise, shift wise, whatever it might be. You're gonna get a package of three plays that you haven't seen from a different look every week. And you don't know what it's gonna be because we don't know prior to Sunday what it's gonna be. And and uh and then the next team's gonna prepare for it and we might not pull it out again for three, four, five weeks. And well, um, absolutely. But the kids just, remember. Yeah, the, the kids, kids remember. remember. Right, Tom? Absolutely. So you have this bank of plays that you can pull out and you're just – and the kids – and so all of a sudden it looks like you have 500 plays, you know, you know, possible. But in reality, it's really not that much. And the kids, they eat it up. They love it. And they don't all have to be live every oh. week. I think that's the other Heck, thing that absolutely. people think. Yep. Like, well, how, how do you guys remember all these? Well, well, they don't have to because we're not going to, uh, you know, we're not going to run them all every week. You know, it's game plan. But you can always go into halftime and say, "Hey, remember, remember with this? <laughs> right, let's talk about this. Can we yep. do this again? Yep. Absolutely." Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, and, and you know, you get a wing T guy, and and they're going to say, "Nope, we're only going to run this series of plays and whatnot." And it works really well for them. Um, 
but you know that's not that's not how I work. So you know, I think we're on the same page there. I'm with you. You know, it was cool too. To, I have to tell you, it's 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 when the kids then recommend those plays. Now you were talking about at halftime, or something like that, or it could be something you know you're introducing new plays, and a kid brings something up that you said four or five weeks ago. You know, for instance, we when I was coaching at Freedom, we had talked about you know the one guy that if, if a defense is playing cover one man to man, the one guy they never cover is the quarterback, <laughs> you know? And so I know you and I've talked about this before about, yep. you know, doing the quarterback throwback, you know? And, and so um, we had put it in against Fox Valley Lutheran that, that year, but it was a cold windy game. It just didn't set up right to, to throw it. Um, it, it because it was just a nasty night, but, we, we went four or five weeks later, we're in the second round of the playoffs and we're playing St. Croix Central, a team that was so much bigger than us in the second round. And they played cover one and I had totally forgotten about that play. But then one of our players says, hey, coach, what about the quarterback throwback? Remember, you, you told us, you taught us that the one person that they never cover is the quarterback. And if they're playing cover one, don't you think it'd be good? I'm like, that's brilliant. Heck yeah. You know, but it was all because we taught him, right? You know, it's kind of that saying, you you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. And these these kids just loved it. That's awesome. And it, it feels great, right, when those kids do that and, and come back oh, to those yeah. things. And, and and then you and then when you tell the paper, you know, you truly can credit the kids and, and <laughs> you know, and it's an authentic Absolutely. thing. And those are fun times. Coach, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the game since the time that you've been involved as both a player and a coach? I know the game has changed a ton since you were in high school back in the uh, you know late 80s, early 90s, playing college ball, all of that. Um, what, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? Well, I, I, the RPO game is, is huge. Um, you know, that... I think back to when I was in high school and I graduated in 94 and we were double tight. I, and I threw eight times a game average, (laughs) you know, it was just, you know, man, if we went trips, we were really radical. (laughs) Um, It was, it was crazy. And now you look at what high schools are doing and the RPO game and the spread game. And it's just, it's really, I don't know. I would have loved it uh, as a player back then to be able to be taught the game like that. Um, I know I would have eaten it up and maybe that's why I, I run the style of offense I do and try to teach the way I do because I know not everyone is like me, but I, I think, you know, kids, when you're playing this game, you, you have a general interest in, in, in watching it and learning it and stuff like that. So um and, and to me, too, even in coaching, just the use of the shotgun, you know, uh, I think three-man fronts, you know, the 3-4 defense, I know it's been around for a while, but you see a lot more of it probably because of the more of the spread-type offenses, you know, it uh, it gives it, it – you can be a little bit more versatile, you know, in, in stopping the run and yet, you know, putting eight in coverage. So I would say those type of things have, have really changed over the years. That's something I've noticed too, that we've gotten to a point now where when you see a team that's under center, it's almost, it's almost, uh, people have struggled to defend. Yeah, it's (laughs) abnormal. People struggle to defend that. 
because they haven't seen it. I think that's one of the reasons North Dakota State is so successful in what they do because people don't have to don't have to defend a gap power with fullbacks and tight ends like uh, like they used to have to. Um, same yeah. thing with the wing T. You used to see the wing T all the time. Now, if you see it, you're you're calling up some old guy and saying, "Hey, how do we stop this? <laughs> we haven't seen this in a while." Yeah, how do I stop a trap? <laughs> you right? know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. State caliber teams—they always have a great leadership. What did you do, or what do you guys do at West Appear to build great leadership into your players? Well, you know, the first thing I did when I got hired is um, I called Steve Jones, and of course, everyone knows Steve and the success that he had. You know, and and Steve has been a good friend of mine over the years, and he sent all of his quarterbacks from Kimberly. You know. Um, especially when he got hired, he, he sent his quarterbacks to me from my quarterback Academy and had a pleasure working with uh, um, them and, you know, hearing from Steve, you know, what he expected. And it was, you know, I, I was, to me, it was like, I was their, their off season quarterback coach, you know, and uh, I was so happy to be able to help them and see the su- success. But I called Steve and I just wanted to pick his brain, you know, because the one thing I did learn, throughout the years and from different coaches like man if you want to be a good coach go talk to good coaches you know see what they're doing and so I I called Steve and we sat down and we had lunch and I just you know kind of peppered him with uh questions and one of the things that I took away from it was um you know he, he started a leadership council and uh he helped me with that and you know the parameters behind it and so I that's what I did I I started a leadership council with our players right away and uh it's been awesome and so we we've been reading actually books um we read two books a year and one of them uh last year was the twin thieves that steve uh, co-authored and um it's been great talking with the guys about you know leadership what type of leadership you know how there's different types of leadership out there and how that's going to help our team and if we don't have leadership, how it, it will not be good for our team. Um, so that was that. And then we, I, I allowed them to really kind of to take ownership, the players, that is, uh, of the team. I tell them all the time, this is not my team. It's your team. You know, I'm, I'm here to guide you, you know, to, to help, you know, r- you know, run things a little bit. But at, at the end of the day, I'm, I can't I don't have any more eligibility left. And so these guys are the ones that have to run the show, you know, in between the lines per se. And, uh, and so we, we, you know, I, we take that very seriously. And, and so, you know, they did things like, you know, I wanted to change kind of the culture a little bit. Um, West Superior has been very successful, but I kind of wanted to make it, you know, my own. Um, and so with the players, we came up with, we want to be a team that has some grit and we use grit as a, as an ana- or as a uh, uh, acronym, and so the kids came up with what the G meant, what the R meant, what the I meant, and what the T meant, and we gave it a word, and then they had to um, define that, and our kids had to know it, and if they didn't know it, if they couldn't repeat it to me in the hallway, uh, they had fifteen push-ups on the spot, <laughs> and it was. Uh, you know, because they, they, they have to know what the culture is, you know, before they can buy in, they have to first know. So it was, um, it was, it, it, it turned out to be great for us this year. They really bought in the kids did. And I think part of that had to do with, because it was the kids that came up with it. 
And I don't think we give kids enough credit in terms of like you talked about reading a book. Um, we did the Twin Thieves last year and and we did the whole team uh, and we're doing chop wood, carry water this year. Uh, and yep. it, it was one of the the parents bought in. I had teachers in the school asking me, uh, how did you get these kids to read this book? I said, they, they said they won't read anything that I give them. And, and now they're <laughs> they're reading this book in my class and I can't get them to put it down. And I, and I want to tell them to put them away, but they're finally reading. So I can't yell at them for reading. Um, so, but if you, if you phrase it right and you find something that they're interested in and you make it an expectation and we, you know, we're not even grading when they read it, it's, it's strictly optional that they come but we'd get 50 kids that would come every week and, and, and they'd read the book and they liked it and they couldn't put it down. Um, but sometimes we don't give kids enough credit for that, that if you make it an expectation, you put a little pressure on them from peers and whatnot, and, uh, and you set them up to succeed, we would put them in groups where they could talk about it and, and not feel like they're going to get ridiculed or anything like that. Uh, we prepped them, we gave them the questions ahead of time so that they could, have a correct answer and, and have something thought out and they weren't going to get cold called on the spot. And, yep. and, and the kids did a really good job with it. And I think that's something that more coaches need to look at is how, how can we do that? And how can we let these kids learn a little bit from each other and, and explore, you know, and read a little bit. It's reading's a good thing and kids don't do it enough. They're too attached to their phones and, and adults are too. Um, but there's a lot to, a lot to be said for that. Oh, I totally agree. I, I love that you're doing it with the whole team. I, I just, to me, it, it's like kids have lost their the, their ability to be creative. Just from the standpoint, you know, as everyone has seen, um, uh, remember the Titans, right? And and so, do you remember the time when the players came to Coach Boone and said, "Hey, Coach, we have a different warm up, you know, that we like to do." You know, it's like that to me is like. You know, some coaches I know, no, we've always done our warm-up, but man, if if it's good and it still does what it's supposed to do and warming up the kids, okay, you know? And so, like our team, I, I gave them permission. And I said, you guys come up with something. Come up with something beforehand to get yourself going. And they did. They started swaying back and forth, and our running back did a backflip. I didn't know he could do a backflip, and they <laughs> got the guys going. I'm like... Heck yeah, this is what I'm talking about. You know, so it's um, that type of stuff that, again, that it's their team. Now, there's parameters, and that's my job as a head coach to make sure they don't get too crazy. But when kids know they, ha it's not just I'm going to come to practice, I'm going to do the same drill over and over and over, and I just have to listen to coach. It's, it, it, you know, and they know they have, they can put some of their own stuff in. I think they get pretty excited about that. Yeah, completely agree. Coach, what's your greatest football memory that has nothing to do with wins or losses? Boy, um, I got a bunch of them, but I, I, we could be on for an hour. Uh, but one of my memories that I just I cherish, um, and and this is kind of what we were just talking about, where coaches allowing players to to you know make it theirs you know their team um it was at the end of my career it was um it was the year that i played in the united football league and again it's like the usfl or the xfl and 
you know, I was 35 years old, and our head football coach was Marty Schottenheimer, the NFL great Marty Schottenheimer. And he, he was 67 years old, and, and unfortunately he's passed away now. He had Alzheimer's. But you could tell, like, it was at the beginning of his Alzheimer's, and he was starting to lose his memory a little bit. But he was such a great coach and a great man. And, and it was the year, in the third year of the league, they canceled the last three games. We were supposed to play eight games. They canceled the last three because of money problems. And, and, the, and the players were all in the uproar because as professional football players, if, you, know, you, you want to play the game, so you get paid. And they canceled those three because two of the teams were clearly the best two teams in the league. It was our team and then the Vegas team. And so they, they canceled those games to save a couple million dollars so that they could play next year. They were finding, you know, being on hard times. But a lot of our guys didn't want to play in that championship game because fearing that we weren't going to get paid. And so our, our owner came in and he guaranteed to write a check if the league doesn't pay us, you know. And, and so it was a lot of tension. And, and we went out to dinner the night before the game uh, or two nights before the game with our quarterback coach and Mike McMahon. I don't know if people would remember Mike. He was drafted by the Lions, played with the Lions for a while, and then with Philadelphia. Rutgers quarterback, right? Yeah, the Rutgers? you got yeah. it. You got yeah. it. Kind of dating ourselves here, Tom. Yeah. But, uh, so Mike was my backup, and we went out for dinner with the quarterback coach, and he did some impersonations of – uh, of our offensive line coach and he just had us rolling and it just triggered something in my mind because when I was coaching at Green Bay Southwest under Bryce Pop we used to have team dinners on Thursday night but every we had a tradition that on the night before um, our last game our last regular season game we would do impersonation night where coaches and kids could impersonate whoever they wanted to. And, you know, it was all in good fun. And, but it was like, everyone was fair game. And I can tell you, Tom, I learned that I did so many different things and, and said things that I didn't even realize I said or did because these kids are picking up on it and just making fun of me. And I'm laughing my butt off. Right. And so when Mike did this uh, two nights before our championship game, the, the night before that next night we were having, you know, getting ready for the, the game. And, and um, I walk up right before the uh, meeting and, uh, and I, I go to Marty. I said, Hey, Marty, can I talk to you for a second? He said, yeah, Chris. And I was a captain. And he says, uh, he's like, what's going on? And I said, listen, I, I got an idea that I think could really uh, relax the team and, and bring us all together pretty good. And he didn't even ask. He didn't even ask me what I was planning on doing. He said, Chris, if you do, it's all yours. I'll, I'll let you come up after, after I talk. And so after sure enough, and, and if you remember Marty Schottenheimer from, you know, his days in the NFL and all the NFL films, he's a fire and brimstone type of guy. He's passionate and he was pounding on the table during this meeting. He had tears coming down, just expressing how much he enjoyed being a part of this league and being able to coach us and how much he loved us as players. 
And, and I'm like, hold on, I got to get up and crack jokes <laughs> after this, you know? And so we got up, I got up afterwards and I just, I said, you know, guys, you know, we've been here for seven short weeks, you know, five weeks of playing and, and, and now, um, and two of training camp. I said, I don't think we've gotten to know each other as well as we probably should have. So I'm going to call up some of the coaches and I call up Bill Laveroni, our offensive line coach. Well, of course, Bill had no idea what I was doing. So he just kind of sat there and I was watching him. But as soon as I said that, Mike McMahon came up and he started impersonating Bill Laveroni. And then he proceeded to impersonate our offensive coordinator. And everyone on the offensive side was dying laughing. I mean, just hilarious. It was hysterical. So after Mike gets done, all of a sudden, I'm sitting up on the front table with, if, if all Packer fans out there remember Aaron Rouse. Remember, he was a big safety out of Virginia Tech, played for yep. the Packers for a number of years. And Aaron Rouse was our safety. And he and I and a guy by the name of Trey Battle, who was from Florida State, and Trey Battle was a strong safety. And he, he, Aaron's like, Trey, get up there. Trey, get up there. And Trey's like, no, 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 I'm not going up there. They finally convinced Trey to go up there. And Trey ended up impersonating Marty Schottenheimer. And here is Marty Schottenheimer, now behind Belichick, but he's now, I think, the sixth or seventh, seventh winningest head football coach in NFL history. I mean, he's definitely in the top ten. And so this guy could be a future Hall of Famer, possibly, as a coach. And here we are impersonating the guy. And, and again, Marty had some el- early onset of Alzheimer's, so he used to always get everyone together in the huddle and everything. And he would be like, all right, guys, let's get in here and let's break it down. Let's go team on three, one, two, dear Lord God, thank you for bringing us. And he'd start into a prayer in the middle of it. We're like, what is going on here? And so we just learned like that was Marty. So anyways, Trey does this. He impersonates Marty and the room erupts in laughter. It was just, it was unbelievable. And when I finally, you know, like I was crying, I was laughing so hard. I looked down and I see a guy in front of me rolling on the ground. It was 67 year old Marty Schottenheimer. And it taught me something right there. Here, this guy, he could be, you know, a guy that is just like, you know what? You can't make fun of me, but no, he was humble enough to take it. And man, it was one of those moments I'll never forget because afterwards, about 10 minutes after the meeting, I'm walking down the hallway of our hotel and he was in his office and, and all of a sudden he, he yells out his office door, hey, Grison, get in here. And I walked in there and he's waving his finger at me and he says, Grison, let me tell you something. He said, in my 20 years of being a head football coach in the NFL and now here in the United Football League, I've never had a meeting as good as that one. And it just put a smile on my face and we talked about it. And I, I just, I'll never forget that, just how humble of a man he was and great coach. And we ended up going on and winning the championship 17 to three. And that was his, his only professional football championship that he ever won. And I'm glad I was uh, able to be a part of it. We, we don't always know what we do or say until we let the kids, uh, you know, do something <laughs> like that. I, I remember a couple of years ago, we, we have this thing. I think you guys do it at West Appear Tour, or at least at one point did, 
we had this like dance contest and they have like a male athlete and a female <laughs> member of the dance team. And then they have female athletes and then male members of the show choir and they pair them up and they come up with a routine or whatnot. And there's always commercials and skits that they do in between everything. And some kids had asked me if they could borrow a headset for, because all, you know, for a commercial, they needed to borrow a headset. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'll give you a headset. Well, this, this kid gets up there and he starts imitating me and and he was really good. And I didn't realize that I would always call school buses cheesers. Um, so he's just making <laughs> reference about cheesers. And now, and because of that, and that was like 2017, the school buses are still known as cheesers. And I don't know if I still say it or not, but but it's been carried on for, for seven, eight years now uh, because of, you know, that kid impersonating me. And it's, I was laughing. I don't have any problem with somebody making fun of me like that. So yeah, it's, yeah. those are always fun moments. Yeah, I agree. I, and, uh, I'll never forget that. And yeah, we continue to have fun at, at West appear and the kids have fun with it and the coaches get into it and yeah, you know, it just kind of keeps people humble. Coach changing gears a little bit. What team coach coordinator, what's been the most fun to play against or the biggest challenge that you guys have seen on a regular basis? Well, you know, my first year we, we played the Bay conference, um, and had some really good coaches to go against, but the last two years we've been in the FRCC and, and I, I would say, um, really Pulaski, Jared Marsh and his, his defense coordinator, they, they do a really nice job. Um, they play a, a different style, different type of defense that not a whole lot of people play. So it's unique. And then, you know, Gary Westerman at Bayport, um, has really a great program and we've had two real good battles the last two years. Um, you know, this past year we, you know, they're the number one team in the state and, um, you know, we, we got within a touchdown with about seven minutes to go and, and he ended up, uh, um, running, uh, you know, the, the clock out essentially, but he, he had, he went for three, uh, first downs, um, two of them in his own territory. Uh, so we didn't have, we couldn't get the ball back. So it's been a good battle between us the last couple of years and uh, been a challenge. And, you know, I look forward to continuing that challenge here um, with those guys and, and, you know, the rivalry between East appear and West appear. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's been real good. My father-in-law just found out this past weekend that East appear and West appear are not two separate cities. He was, they were talking about it and he goes, well, they're two separate cities, right? I said, no, it's the, I said, I think it's the only school district in the state or the only city in the state that has two separate school districts in the same city. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. But you know, he, yeah, for, for the longest time, he's known me for 13, 14 years now. And, and he thought there were two separate, uh, two separate, completely different cities, but well, not the it case. Is, it's, it's kind of ironic because the, East Pier School District calls it the Unified School District of Pier. <laughs> right, know? I told them that. I said that it's <laughs> it's just you know it's almost like they're like like a, like a petty or like a passive aggressive dig at at, at West <laughs> Pier or whatnot. But yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Coach, and, and I'm from the area, but I haven't I, I don't come back super often. But if we ever come to town and we're going to catch a game, where do we need to stop and eat? That's a new question this season. We want to know what are some of the best places in these cities that we need to stop and eat uh, if you're in town. Oh, you know, I there are so many. Um, right, if, you know, if you like Mexican, right down the street, a big supporter of our program is El Maya. Um, they they have such great Mexican food. Um, 
I, I tell you, I, I love the fish over at Sidekick Sports Bar. Um, they do such a good job of taking care of us uh, coaches. We go there after games. Plank Road Bar and Pub, um, they do a nice job with their food and, and stuff like that. So a lot of great restaurants uh, around. Um, if you just want a quick sub, Scott Subs right down the street from us, they do a great job. They have ice cream. So a lot of uh, businesses right there in West Superior do a great job of of good food and supporting you know our program, and we're we're certainly thankful for that. It's changed a lot, but I you know I look forward to uh, to when we make it back. I always uh, I always like to take a drive around and just see how much everything has changed uh, in the time that I've been gone. I haven't lived there since since really '03. I was there for a couple of months in '07, the transition from military to college. But every time I go back, there's a new stop sign that I got to stop at because the subdivisions <laughs> have been built further into the into the country. And uh, I'm afraid I'm going to get a speeding ticket because I'm going by 2003 speed limits and. In 2023, uh, speed limits are a little bit different nowadays with the how it's been built up. Yeah, that it is, and uh, yeah, they keep on building, uh, which is great. You know, that means our enrollment will go up and more kids, and we just try to keep on making it a positive culture to try to keep on getting kids out for football. You know, because that's t- kind of tough now these days. You know, football was getting a bad rap there for a while, but now with the uh, the better equipment and the better techniques, especially for tackling. I think, uh, you know, a lot of parents are realizing how great of a game football really is and teaching their young boys how to be men. I, I completely agree. And I'm glad that we're, seems like we're trending back in a more positive direction and some of the changes that we've needed to make in the game and have, have been made. And um, some of the technology obviously is advanced, but I think we're in a really good spot with the game and starting to see those numbers grow and the popularity, I think, is as, as high as it's ever been. I agree. I totally agree with you. Coach, final question. What's one piece of advice you have for the young coaches out there that, that want to be where you are someday? Uh, you know, to me, be humble. Um, don't think you know it all. Um, be willing to learn. Uh, ask questions. And I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of advice from uh, Dabo Sweeney. And, and by the way, if you've never listened to that podcast, the Dabo Sweeney uh, podcast with, um, oh, I forget, uh, Ed. I forget Ed's last name. Um, but it, it's a it's really quite famous. Just look it up on YouTube. Um, Ed uh, Morset or something like that. Um, but he uh, he talks about starting up a book and, and, and a binder. So that if you see something that's good, put it in the book. If you see something that's bad, put it in the book and just be ready. And everything from, you know, we don't have to worry about recruiting, but offense, defense, you know, which is your, what's your uh, philosophy on discipline? You know, what are, what's this, what's that? You know, all those type of things is just kind of store that up. And, you know, you mentioned before, kind of just put it in your brain, but there's so much, as you know, being a head football coach, even at the high school level, that you have to be ready for and prepared for. I mean, what we, you and I do and all the other head coaches around, you could probably say, you know, football is maybe 10, 15 percent. You know, I spent most of the offseason just doing offseason stuff like helmets and shoulder pads, reconditioning and doing this in the weight room and all and like very little bit about x's and o's and i mean that's what we all love to do but 
at the same time, you, as a head football coach, you have to prepare for that. And if you're not prepared, if you're just going to jump into a job, man, you will be overwhelmed. And then all the X's and O's that, you know, is important for the, you know, the wins and losses and stuff that, uh, that won't show. Um, and unless you're prepared for it. So I would say, go get a book, go listen to that. Make sure you have a notebook. If you listen to it, uh, listen to it. The first, as I told my assistants, listen to it the first time. And then the third or the second, third and fourth and fifth time you listen to it, make sure you have a notebook so you can take notes. Yeah. Ed Milet, Ed. Yeah, there you go. M Y L E T T. That was the one that you gave me that one on the way home from, uh, from the, state uh the all state, all state yeah yeah and it kept me awake that was a long drive um but it kept me awake and i've listened to it a couple more times since and started a word document that i've started to take those notes on just like you said because there's so much yeah. good stuff in there that that we all need and it doesn't matter if, you know if you started coaching yesterday if you started coaching 25 years ago uh there's a ton of good information in there well absolutely just in, just even little phrases Right. You know, just little phrases that, you know, we as coaches, you know, like to say and, you know, just has so much meaning, you know, um, where you could say it in a few words. And I think he does a, a great job with that. And he said, you know, Dabo is such a great coach and a Christian man who I, you know, I, I, I want to uh, not just portray that, but be that around my kids. And um, so he, he's done a great job over the years and someone that I, I can certainly kind of pick things from and, and, um, and, uh, use in my program. Coach, I appreciate you coming on. It's been fun. I look forward to catching up, uh, this weekend at the clinic and, um, it's, it, I, I always look forward to the state clinic. And this year, I think the lineup is as good as ever with the Kansas staff and, and, and a new, uh, fresh look at the Badger staff and all that. So I think it's going to be a good time. I think it's going to be well attended and look forward to catching up with you and seeing you at the bash on, on Thursday Absolutely. and Friday night. You bet, bud. Coach, thanks for coming on, and thank you all for listening once again to the WFCA Fall Guys podcast. We hope you tune in for our next episode.